Great job, Caleb. And Kobe. I want you to understand that's on purpose. For one of our core uh, vision statements is that we're a people who believe in intergenerational community. That's why you see, you saw two teenagers leading in worship today. That's why you see Caleb. We, we believe kids Caleb's age need to have relationship, real relationship with, with guys like Ken Yoder in his 90s. We believe that God has called us to be a people who value all age groups and to be a people who worship alongside of each other. That's what it means to be the family of God. And so we're thankful for that today. It reminds me, speaking about kids, a Sunday school teacher was trying to help kids understand the, the proper behavior in church. And so they were, the Sunday school teacher was trying to talk about, um, you know, what are the rules when you go out to dinner that your parents give you? And he was going to try to take those rules and, and kind of apply them to, to church a little bit. So, so he asked, what are the rules when you go out to dinner? And, and one little guy says, well, uh, don't play with your food. That's a good rule. Uh, another one said, uh, um, well, second grader, don't talk loud. Also, pretty good rule. Uh, they went on and on, and finally he said, does anybody else, anybody else, what do your parents tell you when you go out to eat? And a little girl bat, didn't bat an eye. She said, order something cheap. <laughs> I think I said that to my kids this week, uh, actually. Some of you can relate when you're a parent. Sometimes it's... Uh, Sometimes parenting can be hard and you're faced with all kinds of stuff and, and uh, like sibling rivalry and, and the things that go with that. Today is, um, today is my youngest, my daughter Lindy's 13th birthday. We have, uh, she's in the nursery probably listening to you go whoo like that. Um, we have three teenagers in the house. Well, not in the house, one's at college, but it still counts. Uh, three teenagers, which is hard to believe. I was looking back, and, uh, and Jamie sent me this text in 2013, which was just a couple of days before Lindy's seventh birthday, and actually found the text, and, and here it's on the screen. Mom, do birthday wishes come true? Sometimes. Mom, I wish you'd get pregnant and have a baby so I can have a sister. Some wishes don't come true. I'm guessing that what she was thinking about was, um, was you know, it's kind of two against one. She's the only girl. There's two boys. And maybe if she had a sister, then it would be kind of two and two. It would be, it would be even. And, um, but, you know, the Bible talks about a, a whole bunch of set of siblings. And there's a whole bunch of them. And, and you'll recognize some of their names. Names like Cain and Abel and Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau and Joseph and his brothers, Jesus and his brothers, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Then there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The list goes on and on. And some of these siblings have relationships that turned out well, but a whole bunch of them did not turn out very well. And some of them went okay and, and, and not so good, but they were able to put them together in the end. Some had rocky patches. But the one thing that was in common with all of these sibling relationships is that over time, one of the siblings became more prominent than the other. And that's certainly the story of the two brothers in our lesson today. We've been the last few weeks in the Gospel of Luke, and we've talked about, of course, Jesus' birth. We've talked about um, John the Baptist and the beginning of his ministry. We've talked uh, about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I want to move now to the Gospel of John and pick up the story from, from where we left off in Luke. And I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel this morning. 
John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave the testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me that the one who comes will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify to this. This is the Son of God. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John and said that, that and went and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of God given for the people of God, and we respond together by saying, thanks be to God. You can be seated. So we're introduced to these two brothers, Andrew and Peter. Andrew is the first disciple that Jesus ever called, which is a pretty cool thing. But for the rest of the New Testament, Andrew is overshadowed by his brother, Simon Peter. I think it's interesting that Andrew was a disciple. Before he was a disciple of Jesus, he was a disciple of John the Baptist, which emphasizes and reminds us that John really was a big deal. I mean, people, John had disciples. People were following after him. He was, he was teaching and opening up God's word. We usually, when we talk about John, we tend to talk about what he ate, locust and honey, and that he wore skins and he lived in the desert. But, but people really regarded John as a prophet. Matthew 3, 5 reminds us that people went out from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of Jordan. They were packing lunches. They were taking family trips. They were heading out to hear John open the word. But like Andrew, John's destiny was also to live in the shadow of another. In his case, his younger cousin named Jesus. In fact, John's main role, it seems that his main role in life could be boiled down to this. John pointed to one who was greater than himself. Not a bad tagline to your life. But like but like um, the rest of us, it's a tagline that we have to choose. It's a tagline that we can read, but if we don't do anything about, it doesn't really matter. It reminds me of the book that was written uh, a number of years ago by a pastor turned comedian, or it was a comedian turned pastor, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but... Uh, um, it's kind of written after a little bit of the story. If you remember, it's Andrew. Let me just back up from the book. Andrew sees John the Baptist baptize Jesus, and, and, and he hears these words, and, and, and he hears John say, the Lamb of God. He's just fascinated by all of the things that, that John is saying about Jesus. And so, so Andrew picks up and leaves. I'm sure he was appreciative of John the Baptist, but he traded John for Jesus. 
knowing that, you understand a little of this book that was written a few years ago by this pastor, comedian, comedian, pastor. It was titled The Gospel According to Norton. The Gospel According to Norton is kind of this humorous but touching story of a young man, a fictional character, who, who like Andrew, is also a disciple of John the Baptist. And um, the, Norton goes on to talk about in his book, and it's pretty humorous, but he talks about the first time he met John. He described him as wearing a double-breasted camel-haired suit, wrong side out, platform, high-top sandals, teased hair, and the works. He says the first night by the river, he, he was fascinated with John, and from then on, he came early so that he could get a front rock seat for John's sermons every time. In short, Norton said, he became a follower of John. He was my hero. He was a great dresser, unique, distinctive, outspoken, honest. He says, I tried to be more like him. Until one afternoon, Norton was with John, and John was baptizing Jesus. And Norton was amazed at, at John's attitude towards Jesus. John is saying things like, you should be baptizing me, Jesus. Or, I, I don't, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. At John's general awe of Jesus' presence. So later, Norton hears that Jesus and a group of his disciples are a little bit up the river. So he sneaks up to listen to Jesus. And, and as soon as he hears Jesus, he understands this is the one John has been talking about. This is the Messiah. And, and so Norton says in just three visits, he transferred his membership, his membership from John to Jesus. And like Andrew, he left John the Baptist and he became just a memory. One day, the story goes, if you read on in the book, Jesus asked Norton, hey, have you heard from John lately? And Norton kind of chuckles a little bit, thinking of his, his bombastic former teacher. And, and Jesus says, Norton, why, why do you chuckle? He says, oh, Jesus, you know John. He's still wearing that double-breasted camel-haired suit and preaching with blisters coming out of his throat. And, and uh, he said a few other sarcastic things as well. And Jesus looked at Norton and he said, Norton, you ever stop to think about where you might be if not for John? And Norton hung his head a little bit. And he said, well, I'd probably still be stealing fruit and hanging out at the market. Exactly, Jesus said. Norton goes on to say that it was one of the greatest lessons that he'd been taught. That sometimes young idealists frequently find their Messiah and then spend time belittling where they have come from. And they forget the shoulders of people that they stand on. And they forget the people who first showed them Jesus in the first place. See, at the time that he was writing this book of this fictional character, Norton, it, it, the author was on staff at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he saw many young seminarians who were coming to school and learning a, a more progressive view of the Christian faith than they'd grown up with. And the first thing these young people would do would be belittle and, and, and criticize the church and the family and the pastors from which they had come. And in the person of Norton, the author was trying to say to these young seminarians, he's saying, remember where you came from. Where would you be today without the background of your life? Where would you be without the shoulders of people that you stand on? Where would you be without people who first spread some seeds and began to tell you who Jesus was in the first place? And I make this point because some of you have come to our church out of similar backgrounds where you experienced more legalism than love or more judgment than grace. And gracefully you say, I'm not interested in going back to that. And yet you're here and you've become part of the community and you're serving faithfully. And, and 
I just want you to be reminded that, that some of the fruit of your life, in fact, some of the fruit of ministry that you have yet to do is there because somebody somewhere planted some seeds of Jesus and you're standing on their shoulders. John the Baptist had a lot of faults, but he pointed people towards Jesus and that's what Andrew did as well. Andrew was not one of the more prominent disciples. He, he, he was uh, uh, better known in, in the New Testament simply as Simon Peter's brother. Simon was the rock star. Andrew carried the bags. I heard one guy describe his brother one day. He said, my brother was the quarterback. Uh, he was the editor of the school paper. Um, he got all the girls. He was the teacher's pet. And, uh, and maybe you would describe your sibling in that kind of way. Andrew was always living in Peter's shadow. Peter, now Peter is part of the inner circle, right? He's there with, with James and John. Peter's there when anything significant is happening in Jesus' life. Peter, Peter walks on the water. Uh, Peter, Peter's the guy that Jesus looks at him and he says, you, you're the rock. I'm going to build the church on you. And Andrew was probably present for a lot of those experiences, but he's rarely mentioned. In fact, Andrew is only mentioned 12 times in all of the New Testament. And eight of those times that he's mentioned, he's mentioned as Simon Peter's brother. Andrew only had one gift that we know about. He introduced people to Jesus. In fact, it was Andrew who brought his brother, Simon Peter, to Jesus. John tells us in the passage that we read that right after Andrew left John and began following Jesus, the first thing he did is he went and found his brother. And he said, brother, this is the Messiah. This is the one we have been waiting for. And John writes, he brought him to Jesus. In John chapter 6, it is Andrew who finds the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish and the great miracle that comes out of that. In John chapter 12, it is Andrew who, who brings the, the inquiring Greeks to Jesus who want to know more about who he is. I think that'd be a great epitaph on Andrew's tombstone. He brought his brother and others to Jesus. That'd be a great epitaph on our tombstone. He or she brought his friends to Jesus. It's akin to the epitaph on John the Baptist's tombstone. He pointed others to one that was greater than him. I think what other great compliment, what other great compliment could you have in your life than have it be said of you that you loved your friend so much? You loved your family member so much that you shared with them the difference that God has made in your life. Now, I know that sometimes we can get uncomfortable about bringing people to Jesus. And in fact, most people who come to church come because they were invited by someone. But church people are not very good at inviting others. Let me just say that one more time. Almost all people the vast majority who come to church have been invited by someone else. And yet church people aren't very good at inviting others. It's pretty ironic. If we did invite more people more often, the church would be packed every Sunday. We'd need free services. And yet we hesitate. Some of you are much more comfortable witnessing for Christ with your actions than your words. And that's good. Actions need to match our words. Your actions, it's much better than, than having really great words about Jesus and then going out and living a life that doesn't match up at all. But I, I want to ask you something this morning. 
before you leave this house of worship, I want to ask you something. I want to challenge you to think about something. In fact, more beyond that, I, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully begin to consider and prayerfully ask God, is there someone else that I care about or love that I could point them to Jesus? Now, you might do that by being a good neighbor. You might do that by making sure that your, your actions of your life lift up rather than tear down. You might do that as people observe your integrity by what you say or what you don't say on Facebook or Instagram or, or, or the water cooler. You might do it by telling a family member just the kind of difference that God has made in your life and how he continues to make a difference. Do it in a loving way. You're not called to be the salesperson for Jesus. You're called to listen carefully and answer honestly the difference that Jesus has made in your life and how it's changed the trajectory of your journey. Here's an important truth. You don't have to be a superstar to impact the world. You don't have to be a superstar to impact the world. In fact, there are not a lot of superstars. But that doesn't mean you can't make a significant contribution to the kingdom of God. And that's the calling of all of us. There's an old African-American spiritual written in the early 1800s. The title of it is, There is a Balm in Gilead. It was in the hymnal when I was growing up. Anybody remember that song? It actually comes out of Jeremiah 8 in the Old Testament where there's a question asked. Is there a balm in Gilead? And what that means is the balm healing. Gilead was the land. Is there healing in the land? And so that old hymn was written to answer that question, that Old Testament question. Yes, there is healing in the land. There is a balm in Gilead. Jesus Christ came to be the balm. He came to be the healer of one's heart and life. And I think the simple words of that old hymn speaks to the Andrew that is in each of us. It goes this way, verse 1. Sometimes I feel discouraged and I think my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a healing in the land to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. But it's verse 2 that is my favorite. It says, if you cannot preach like Peter, and if you cannot pray like Paul, which is probably most of us in the room, you can tell the love of Jesus and say, he died for all. There is a balm in Gilead. To make the wounded whole, there is a balm, there is a healing in the land to heal the sin-sick soul. Andrew couldn't preach like his brother Simon Peter, and he couldn't pray like the Apostle Paul, but what he could do is he could tell people about his encounter with Jesus and how it changed his life. You might not be able to preach like so-and-so. You might not have the giftings of someone else that you have in mind. But can I just tell you this? You have everything you need to answer the call of God in your life. You have everything you need to tell somebody about this Jesus that you're building your life on and the difference that it's made. And I suppose this morning that is the central question. This Jesus that you've been building your life on. This Jesus that 
that you've invested time and you, you come to places like this and, and you study and, and, and you talk about this Jesus, how long has it been since you were like Andrew? And you said to a friend, come and see. How long has it been since you said, this Jesus that I've built my life on, I want to tell you what a difference it's made in you. In all the areas of your life, show the love of Jesus, especially in your work. And may we dedicate living our lives to being Andrew kind of Christians. So that when all is said and done about us, and somebody writes our history, and writes your name, and writes something next to it, that it might be summed up like this. They showed people Jesus. And the difference, the difference it can make when you follow him with all you are, and all you have, and all you will. Would you stand? Father, we give you thanks today for, for this just amazing time of your Holy Spirit being here. We give you thanks that we can bring our needs before you and that you hear. That from the very beginning of our time today, we have been a people who, who have sung songs that mean something, that talk about great things and a solid rock and a, and a reckless love and a forever faithfulness and how great thou art. We've sung songs that remind us that you are bigger than all of those things that we face. And if that's the truth, if that really is the truth, then it ought to change who we are and how we live and how we interact with people. It ought to change the trajectory of next week. It ought to change conversations around the water cooler. God, we aren't anything special. We aren't anyone famous. But Andrew was the guy who the only thing we know about him the only thing we know about him, other than he was the brother of Simon Peter, is the best thing he did was he showed people Jesus. Father, when the books are written on our lives, I hope that's the words that fall in line. That the best thing I ever did was help people understand how Jesus could change their life. So Lord, as we go from this place, Help us, as Carly said earlier, help us to use our senses. Help us to see with your eyes, hear with your ears. But help us to speak. And help us to be a people who share the hope that is within us. May our joy not be in our circumstance this week, God. But may it be 